Today we start a new series. This series is titled Spirit World. Spirit World. And I want to begin by reading Genesis 1. As we start this series, we're going to go to the very beginning. So Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It may read a little bit differently than yours. But uh, it's the same thing. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So from the very beginning of the Bible, God shows us the reality of the spirit world. In fact, what we see here is that before there was a physical world, there was a spirit world. Before God actually created the heavens and the earth, the spirit of God was already hovering over the surface of the waters. So there's a spirit world. And we're all familiar with the physical world. We're, we're familiar with the, with the natural realm. We know how to navigate the natural realm. We know how to navigate the physical world. With our five senses. With our intellect. With our physical abilities. But I want to tell you this morning. That there's also a spiritual realm. There's also a spirit world. It's invisible to us, but it's no less real than the physical world we do see. And both worlds, the physical and the spirit, both worlds interact with each other. They influence one another. The spiritual realm and the natural realm interact. You might say, well, how does that happen? How does that work? Well, I think... One of the clearest ways for us to, to see that this morning is by looking at the story of Job in the Bible. The story of Job is perhaps the clearest biblical story that helps us understand the reality of not just the, the spirit world, but how the spirit world and the physical world interact with each other and how they influence each other. Now, who was Job? Job was a godly man. The Bible tells us he was a man of integrity. He was also a very rich man. And riches back then, in Bible times, uh, riches were held not in bank accounts, not in 401k accounts. Uh, riches were in livestock, in land, and property. And so this man, Job, had a lot of livestock. He had a lot of land. He had a lot of servants. He was very rich. And he had a lot of children, too. He had ten, to be exact. He had seven sons and three daughters. That's a, a large family. And so, one day, Job had a very bad day. Now, have you ever had a really bad day where everything goes wrong? Where everything just kind of uh, converges, all the bad things come together? Well, he had one of those days, but I can almost guarantee you that his bad day was a lot worse than your bad day. Because here's what happened. One day, the Bible tells us that Job's sons and daughters were 
were having a party. They used to like to get together often, and they would get together at the oldest, uh, oldest son's house. And so they would eat, they would drink, they would have a great party, and they're all there, and I would uh, imagine their children as well. So they were all doing this, and so Job's at home, and while he's at home, this man comes running to him, and it's one of his servants. It's a, a man with a message for him. The man comes running, and I can imagine he arrives at the house, and he's out of breath, and he tells him, he, he says, so we were out in the field, and, and, and the oxen were, were plowing, and the donkeys were nearby grazing on another field, and so we got attacked by the, by the Sabians. The Sabians were a, a, a group of people who lived nearby. They came and they attacked us and they took all the oxen. They, they stole all the oxen, all the donkeys, and they killed everybody. I'm the only one who escaped to come to tell you this. And he was still speaking. He wasn't even finished when another man comes running, another messenger, and he says, there was this great fire and all the sheep died in this fire, they were burned up, and, and, and in fact, everybody, all the, the servants also died, everybody died in this fire, I'm the only one who escaped to, to come tell you this, and Job is like, what is going on, and he hadn't even finished telling the story, when another man comes, another messenger, he comes running, and he says, the Chaldeans, were another group of people living nearby, the Chaldeans attacked us, they attacked us from three different sides, they formed three raiding parties, they raided us, and they, they stole all the camels, and they killed everybody, all the servants. I'm the only one that escaped to come and tell you this. And while he was yet speaking, a fourth man came running up. And he said to Job, you won't believe what happened. Your sons and your daughters were together at the oldest one's house. And they're just eating and they're, they're having this great party. And suddenly this, this powerful wind just comes out of nowhere. From, it actually came from the desert. It came and it was so strong. It, it tore down the house. It collapsed on everybody. Everybody died. Everybody was killed. All your Children, presumably grandchildren, they're all gone. I'm the only one that escaped to tell you this. Can you imagine Job, how he might have reacted to this? And then it gets worse because a short time later, Job got very, very sick. The Bible doesn't tell us what his disease was, but it tells us the symptoms. And the symptoms were very painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. He was covered in very painful sores. He could do nothing about him. The Bible says that he took a piece of broken pottery and he began to scrape himself. As he sat among the ashes. And the reason he sat among the ashes. Is because back in, in Bible times. The way people would grieve. When they lost a loved one. And something terrible happened. Is, is they would tear their clothes. They would tear their clothes. And then they would pour ashes on their forehead. And they would sit on the ashes. And that was a sign of grief. A sign of mourning. A sign of, of great pain. So he's already in great emotional pain. For what he, he has gone through. He lost all his riches, all his riches. And worst of all, his family and now his health. And so he's sitting among the ashes. He's scraping himself with his broken piece of pottery. And his wife says to him, 
You're such a man of integrity. Are you still hanging on to your integrity? What's wrong with you? Just curse God and die. Just curse God and die. And Job's reply was, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Wow. What a man and what a situation. And if we were to look at Job's situation simply through the lens of of the natural realm, we would probably give him some advice that only pertains to the natural realm, that only pertains to this physical world in which we live. We would tell him, you know what, you lost all your finances, all your wealth, you know, but Maybe there's a way out. Go see a financial advisor. Go see somebody who can give you some financial advice. Or we tell them, wow, I can't believe what you're suffering, what you're going through. But you know, there's some good grief counselors up there, out there. There's some good counselors out there. Go see a grief counselor. He or she can help you sort out your emotions, your thoughts, can help you find some healing. And, and maybe if it's somebody who's licensed to do, to do this, they'll give you some antidepressants to make you feel better. You can sleep at night. Or maybe they'd say, so you're having problems with your wife? You know, there's some, you can get some good marriage counseling. Go see a marriage counselor who's trained, who's licensed. They can help you try to patch your relationship back together and so on and so forth. In other words, we would try to comfort him with physical answers, with physical remedies. And those things aren't bad. I don't disagree with that advice. But that's all we would be able to offer if we only believed in the physical world. That's as far as we would be able to get with our help, with our advice, if we only believed in a physical realm. But there's more than the physical realm. There's a spirit world. And there was something going on in the spirit world when this was going on in Job's life. So let's fill in the gaps a little bit. In Job 1, look at your Bibles at Job 1, beginning with verse 6. Here's what was going on in the spiritual world. Well, we already read what was going on in the physical. Job 1, 6 reads like this. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth. Remember that word roaming. From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And he caused all these terrible things to happen to Job in one day. This is when Job lost all his riches, and all his children at one time. Because Satan had told God, you take that away, he'll curse you to your face. But guess what? It didn't work. 
He didn't curse God. He didn't blame God. In fact, here's what he said. Here was his reaction when he went through this. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. In other words, if I have nothing left, that's the way I got here. Then he said, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What a response. What a response. So Satan didn't see what he thought he was going to see. So guess what? He goes back up before God. He goes back up before God and he, he says to God, well, sure, sure, Job will serve you as long as he has his health. But take away his health and everything changes. Take away his health and all bets are off. Uh, surely then he'll curse you to your face. So God says, okay, do with him as you please. Only spare his life. Do whatever you please with him. Just don't kill him. And so Satan went out from the presence of God and he attacked him with these painful boils, these painful sores that tortured him. They tortured him day and night. But still, Job didn't sin against God. His wife gave up on God, but Job never did. Now what I want to tell you and what I want you to see is that what happened to Job was not just a coincidence that that. This thing happened and he lost his, his donkeys and his oxen. That this happened and he lost his sheep. And this happened and he lost, his, he lost his, his camels and he lost all his servants. And then the worst of all, the, the wind that came and tore down that building where his family was and they all died. That was not just mere coincidence. There was something going on in the invisible spiritual realm that affected the visible physical realm. Satan was at work. This story tells us that Satan had the ability to directly affect Job's life. He was able to take Job's possessions. He was able to steal his possessions. He also was able to affect his health. He affected the weather too, causing this wind to come. He affected his relationship. With his wife. We see this with his wife. And this story also tells us that Satan roams the earth looking for trouble. When God asks him, where have you come from? He says, just walking around. Just roaming the earth. Walking to and fro. The Bible tells us that Satan is like um, a roaring lion. He walks about. He roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we learn all this from the story, how he's walking around and how he affected Job directly, his health, his relationships, his possessions, his family. When I was in the seventh grade, I apparently made somebody mad, a guy that I didn't even know, and I'm not sure what I did. But I remember that a guy, like I said, I didn't know him. He came up to me one time and he said this to me, he said, I'm going to beat you up. Now, I'm a little scrawny seventh grader, and that scared me to no end because I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not a fighter. <laughs> not a fighter. I'd seen my share of fights in school. I went to a rough school. It was a really, really rough school. Lots of fights. That same year, seventh grade, a guy in our PE class, an eighth grader, he was on drugs. He stabbed and it killed uh, the math teacher out in the hallway. She died sometime later, but he, out of the, those stab wounds. 
When I, when I was in high school, we had, uh, when I was in eighth grade, the high school had a walkout where kids, some kids took over the school and they called a lot of school, uh, students out and made the national news. It was a rough, it was a rough school. And so I saw my, my share of fights, but I, of course, never took, took part in those. And so when this guy uh, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you up, it scared me to no end. And he continued to tell me every chance he had in the, in the hallway, out on the playground. We are playing uh, softball, I think it was. And uh, he'd come up and just tell me, I'm going to beat you up. And, uh, and he wasn't very subtle about it either. He would say it out in the open. And one of those times that he, he said it uh, out loud, a friend of mine heard him. So he came to me and he says, hey, don't worry about this. I got your back. I got your back. Actually, what he said is, yo te doy esquina. Or he might have said, yo te esquineo. You know, but if, if you grew up you know, talking slang, you know what that means. So he, he would tell me, I, I got your back. Now, this guy who told me that, now, he was a fighter. He was a fighter. His name was Ricky, but we called him Wino. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we all had nicknames, you know, and his, his nickname was Wino, and, and I know it's not a very flattering uh, nickname, but he accepted it. it, it I, we, we grew up playing Little League Baseball together, and from the time we were 10 or 11, he was Wino because he had these bloodshot-looking eyes. I don't know what's wrong with him. It, you know, his eyes look bloodshot. That's the way he was, you know, so we called him Wino. He was a skinny thing, but he was very, he was very streetwise. Grew up, in a rough, grew up in a rough home, and he was very streetwise. He was a fighter, and so he said, I got your back. Now, most of us don't like to fight. We don't like to fight for the most part. But Satan is looking for a fight. Satan is looking for trouble. Your inclination may be to run away from conflict because we all want peace. But the Bible is very clear that he's looking for trouble and that the Christian life is a life of combat. And it's, it's not just a street fight, but it's mortal combat with the spiritual forces of wickedness. Because this enemy never stops his attacks. And because he never stops his attacks, we've got to learn to fight back. We've got to learn spiritual warfare. Because to be unprepared against such an evil enemy, or to ignore that there's a spiritual realm, and that the things in the spiritual realm are affecting us today, and not to fight back against that, that's to ensure defeat. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.10. And he said this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now look at verse 12. For our struggle. By the way, the word struggle here refers to uh, like a hand-to-hand combat or wrestling. So we're not... You know, we, we can't fight this from afar in a sense. We're in the thick of this. We're in the middle of this fight. We're not just watching. We're in the middle of this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's saying it's not physical. It's not against flesh and blood, but against... And see how the enemy is systematized here. See how he's systematized. It's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now don't get confused by that word heavenly realms. The heavenly realms or the heavenly, heavenlies or, or, uh, or the heavens, plural, as opposed to heaven. That doesn't refer to heaven. The heavenly realms is a spirit world that I'm talking about. Anytime you see the heavenly realms, 
in the Bible. You see the heavens. It's talking about this spirit world. And so what, what Paul is saying here is this. Satan and his forces are real, they're evil, and they're powerful. They're real, they're evil, and they're powerful. You know, in military strategy, it, we, we understand that it's fatal to underestimate the strength of the enemy. To, to shrug off an enemy as, as a pushover. When he's really armed and organized, experienced, and when he's dangerous, you know, to shrug that off is to invite defeat. I've seen Christians that disregard the reality of the spirit world and, and dis- disregard the power of the enemy, and it never ends well. But I've also seen the other side of the coin where some give Satan way too much credit. Let me tell you that Satan is not God's equal. He is not God's equal. Some people view Satan almost as strong as God. As if God is desperately just trying to get the upper hand against Satan, but he can't quite do it. He hasn't quite succeeded. Let me tell you, Satan is a defeated foe. He's going to take as many people down with him. As he goes down, he's going to take as many people down with him. But he's a defeated foe. But some people give him way too much credit. They blame Satan for everything from their car problems. My car broke down. It's a devil attacking me again. You know, things break down, folks. Right? Washing machines break down. Cars break down. Satan could possibly use those things. I'm not saying it's not possible. But we're not looking for Satan, you know, around every corner. Every little thing is is Satan. Some people are always casting demons out of this or that. and, And they might even yield to their own sinful desires. They yield to temptation. Then they blame it on the devil. So that's, that's a wrong extreme also. To ignore him, to deny him, or to think he's behind every single problem. Those are both wrong extremes. The Satan, and what I want you to know is that Satan and his demons are not just an impersonal force of evil in the world. The devil is not just a figure of speech for things that go wrong, for evil in this world. The devil is not a figment of the primitive minds of some biblical authors, as some, as some would say. He is a real spirit being, a created angelic being who rebelled against God. And when he was cast out of heaven because of his rebellion against God, he led a huge number of angels in his rebellion who were also cast out of heaven. In fact, Jesus refers to Satan As a ruler of this world. Paul called him the God of this world. And he called him the prince of the power of the air. And Paul said he's a spirit that is now working. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So when Paul says that these evil forces are not flesh and blood. When he says that they dwell in heavenly places. The heavenly realm. He means they're not earthly creatures. We're not talking about physical bodies, but spiritual beings that are invisible to us. Demons that can take possession of human personalities and and even bodies and create all kinds of bizarre behavior and disease. We see this in the Gospels and the book of Acts as well. Demons' normal MO, mode of operation, is to work through unbelievers and through through, uh, human religions and governments and cultures and media And philosophies to further Satan's agenda. To further his opposition 
to God. But the main point here is that they are real spirit beings, not just an impersonal evil influence. And Satan and his demons are evil to the core. They're wicked. They're evil to the core. Contrary to some TV programs that might present nice, which is good, which is that have supernatural power to do good. No, all satanic and demonic activity is evil. It is wicked. Stay away from it. That's why Christians should never dabble in anything that is satanic, in anything that is occult, including the Ouija board, seances, fortune tellers, astrology. Stay away from all that because there is nothing good in those things. Satan and his demons are evil to the core and they work through those things. And Satan... His demons are very powerful. Although God limits their power. And God is in control. God's on the throne. He's in charge. But they're powerful. Now, the devil is is not like God. The devil is not omnipresent where he can be every place at one time. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know what you're thinking. He can only be at one place at one time. And he doesn't know everything about us. But he does have a very large force of evil spirits to carry out his work worldwide. And they're powerful. And they're experienced. And they're intelligent. They know how to do their work. We, we should not think that we can play with Satan. We can trifle with him. And that by ourselves we can match up against him. We can't do it on our own. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 19. Tells us a story Of seven men, they were all sons of a high priest, a Jewish high priest named Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva. And so these men apparently were exorcists. And there were other exorcists in that culture. They would go out and cast evil spirits, cast out demons. So these were exorcists. So they went to a a man who was demon-possessed. And they said to him, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. That was what they said to this demon-possessed man, to this spirit, to this demon. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Well, this man, the evil spirit, the evil spirit actually talked back to them. And maybe they weren't expecting that, but he actually talked back to them and he said, I know who Jesus is, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? And he attacked them, one against seven. He attacked them, and he beat them up so bad. The Bible says he gave them such a beating that they all ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Don't trifle with Satan by yourself. You're not a match. Because we're fighting a powerful and utterly wicked enemy that we can't see. And this is truly then... The fight of our lives. You're in the fight of your lives. And some of you didn't even know it. And maybe you did know it and you ignored it. Maybe you did know it and you're spiritually careless. You can't be spiritually careless because we're in a war zone. We can't escape being in a war zone. There are many people who are not doing well in this warfare. In this battle. In this war. Because first of all, they don't know Jesus yet. You'll never do well against the enemy, against Satan, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following Jesus. It'll never happen. There are people who don't know Jesus. So they're giving in to the values of this world. 
Basically, basically, they're living under Satan's rule. That's why they have dysfunctional lives, very poor health, broken marriages, addictions, involved in crime, conflict with others. Because they're losing the battle, because they don't know Jesus, they're not following Jesus. But even, even some Christians don't do well in this warfare, because they don't recognize the spiritual uh, realm, the spirit world. They don't recognize that there's more going on than their physical life. And so they get spiritually cared. They don't pray. They don't, they don't read God's word. They don't, they don't receive teaching. They don't feed their souls. They don't teach their family that above all things, the spiritual realm is most important because it influences the physical realm. So they can have their kids ready for school and ready for this and, you know, all the different uh, events and all the, the different groups and stuff. But they're spiritually weak. So when their world falls apart, they say, what happened, God? I'm serving you. No, you're ignoring, you're ignoring the spiritual realm. The spirit world, world affects your life and affects my life. It affects families, marriages, nations, churches, schools, everything and anything. That's why we can't be spiritually careless. And if you're not following God closely, you're not praying daily, you're not obeying His word carefully, you're not prepared for this spiritual battle. And let me tell you that Satan will not have mercy on you and your family. He doesn't care. It's time to rise up. It's time to say, I'm going to fight this battle. I'm going to stop being spiritually lazy and spiritually careless. I'm going to give my life to God and allow Him to forgive my sins and to transform my heart and to change my life. Because the truth is this. God has equipped you to be victorious over Satan and his forces. He's equipped you. That's what Ephesians 6.10 says. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It's through Him that we can have victory against Satan and his forces. But you can't do it alone. You need God. We haven't even talked about how we fight this battle. We haven't even talked about how we do spiritual warfare. We'll get into that in this series for sure. But right now, the decision must be made. Will you choose to follow God and join the winning side? Will you surrender your life to God? Will you get serious about your spiritual walk? Will you stop being spiritually lazy and careless and get serious about building up the inner man, building up the spiritual man, feeding your soul and your spirit? The decision has to be made. Remember the guy who threatened to beat me up? Well, the fight never took place. Thank God. The fight never took place. I was able to relax knowing that Wino had my back. <laughs> now maybe, and his name, his name was Ricky. Maybe Ricky talked to the guy that was threatening me. Maybe he told him, hey, you lay off. You lay off. And he was a, kinda, he was a skinny kid, but he commanded, he commanded respect. If you know what I mean. So maybe he told him, I'm thinking it probably happened. It wouldn't surprise me. But either way, I was able to relax. And, and I wish I could say that Satan is only threatening you. He'll never really attack you. But the reality is that he will at one time or another. But you have someone more powerful than a friend, 
nicknamed Wino. You have a man named Jesus by your side to strengthen you. And you have the Holy Spirit to give you power to be an overcomer. When you're saved, His Holy Spirit takes residence in your life. And He seats you. He seats you in the heavenly realm, Paul writes, with Jesus. You're in the heavenly realm with Jesus. But first, you've got to give your life to Jesus. And make the decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build the spirit man. I'm going to build myself up. I'm tired of being beat up by Satan. I'm tired of that. So today, would you make that decision? Once again. Either make a decision once and for all. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm going to go in and serve him all the way. Or maybe your decision is, I've made a choice to follow him, but I've been careless. And it's time to get serious about following God. Get serious about following God. Would you bow for prayer? Father, we thank you so much today that that we're able to learn from your word. And most importantly, I thank you for giving us a glimpse, pulling back the curtain and helping us to see what's going on in the heavenlies. Where you reign, where you're in control. And Father, today I I just want to thank you that we're on the winning side when we follow you. We're on the winning side. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to expect the worst. Because you make us victorious. I understand, God, that maybe we've been neglectful. We've been careless. We've been slacking off. But today we want to turn to you. And say it's time to get serious about serving God. And about building up my spiritual life. Today we ask for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit to come and to touch our lives. To come and to strengthen us. Come Holy Spirit. Fill this place. Fill this room. Fill our hearts. Fill our lives call on you.